my grandmother used to say, you know, I, I remember, I'll tell you a quick story. I used to help her on the bottling line at Barton's. And when I was a little, little boy in the summers, I'd go spend in Barchtown. And one time I handed her a label upside down. She put it on the bottle and I felt so terrible about it. And she looked at me, she says, honey, don't worry about it. Nobody drinks this shit anyway. <laughs> From their bar to yours, Chad and Sarah of the popular YouTube channel It's Bourbon Night bring you their favorite at-home old-fashioned mix with the new Elemental Elixir's Golden Hour Syrup. It's a custom-made syrup with notes of bold black tea, warm spices, and orange zest. All you need is your favorite whiskey and ice. No bitters needed. One bottle makes 16 drinks, so that's only $1 cocktail before you add your own whiskey. They can also be enjoyed in other cocktails or spirits, mocktails, coffee, tea, and anything you can think of. It's crafted locally in Lexington, Kentucky, and you can get your bottle now at whiskeyambitions.com. Do you ever pour yourself a bourbon, swirl it around, and then start struggling to come up with tasting notes? And perhaps you're also looking for a good Father's Day gift idea. Well, you can now solve both with a kit from Nose Your Bourbon. And unlike other nosing kits on the market, Nose Your Bourbon kits feature real ingredients for the most authentic aromas. You can smell real Tahitian vanilla bean, instead of some synthetic aroma that's just made from chemicals. So head on over to noseyourbourbon.com and enter code BP10 for 10% off your order. Ed Bly and Rising Tide Spirits are back again with a new release of Old Stubborn Bourbon. And this release of Old Stubborn is a premium hand marriage of 10, 11, and 12-year cask drink, barely filtered pot still bourbon. It comes in at a staggering 123.8 proof. And the flavoring grain for this one which the last one was weeded, but this time it's now rye. Rich, sweet, and bold with a long finish that's sure to be another eye-opener. You can order online at Sealbox or thebourbonconcierge.com, and you can even purchase in person at Revival Vintage Spirits and even now with very few select stores in Kentucky. You can get it now while you can, but be sure to do it because it's not going to last long. And they're off for another Get 270-2020 Unicorn Raffle. Your $20 ticket gives you not one, but two chances to win from our lineup of 20 Woodford Reserve treasures, including the grand prize, the rarest unicorn yet, the Woodford Reserve Kentucky Derby 150 Baccarat Edition. Only 150 bottles were made and is just like the one the Derby winning owner receives. Quit horsing around and get your $20 tickets now at Give270.org. Charitable Gaming License ORG 0002703. Bringing to you the best stories from icons in the bourbon industry, it's Bourbon Pursuit. Now here are your hosts, Ryan and Kenny. And we're back with another episode of the Bourbon Pursuit podcast. My name is Kenny, and this is the second show that I'm doing solo. Ryan can't make it again. Uh, we wish him uh, him and his family uh, well wishes right now. He's still dealing with the, the whole new twin thing. Uh, but he will make it back on here eventually. He actually still listens to all the episodes because I still have to uh, get everything shipped over to him. And he does all our intro and outro and editing and cutting and volume adjustments and stuff like that. And so with that, I'm going to go ahead and give a shout out to one of our listeners today. So I want to go ahead and say thank you to Travis Roberts. So Travis actually contacted us uh, to say, go and check out our guest today. Um, he's done that with a few guests. So we're going to go ahead and give him a, uh, some props there. But uh, we love it when you guys suggest people to interview because, you know, we're just two pedestrian guys from Kentucky. We can always use some help. So 
Email us if you have any suggestions to the duo at bourbonpursuit.com, or you can always send us a tweet to at bourbonpursuit. And at the same time, you know, we also read every tweet and every email that comes our direction. And one of the things that has been asked time and time again was a problem with the volume. Uh, in our earlier episodes, it was too low. Uh, when we did everything at Buffalo Trace, we had this background of a fire crackling. We did our best to kind of edit it. Um, and so right now we're going back and we're fixing everything. Uh, and we've gone back even in the first few episodes and we've upped the game uh, for some of those, those volumes. So we're going to go ahead and we're going to be fixing that as we go along. You know, everything uh, is, with anything, right? It's all, it's all trial and error and we're still working out all the imperfections. So thank you for bearing with us. So with that, we'll go ahead and introduce our guest today. So today we have the newest member of the KDA or the Kentucky Distillers Association, and they're the first to make moonshine and bourbon in Hardin County, Kentucky in over 120 years. So today we have the master distiller of Boundary Oak, Brent Gooden. So Brent, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you, Kendrick. Appreciate being here. Good. So, you know, before we get started talking about your brand and your distillery, let's talk about your bourbon story. So do you have like an, an earliest moment that you can remember uh, with you and bourbon? Oh, absolutely. And that's a great question. Uh, my grandmother uh, worked for Barton's Distillery in Barchtown, Kentucky, uh, since after World War II, all the way up into the 1980s. Uh, she worked on the Bollian line. Now, my grandmother uh, loved everything Kentucky and everything to do with bourbon. Uh, even back when bourbon wasn't so popular, my grandmother was always the flag bearer of those two things. So I can remember uh, Christmas at my grandmother's in Barchtown, just within a, a stone's throw of the Barton's Distillery, um, having uh, bourbon balls and bourbon cake and anything that she could put bourbon in, she would. So uh, uh, all of my memories that have to, early memories of Kentucky and of uh, and of bourbon are always with her. Well, I think I think she needs to go ahead and make us some samples of everything she made. That sounds delicious. Absolutely. My grandmother has been gone for many years, but she she loved her job at Barton's. When my grandfather died, she was still pregnant with uh, my uncle. Uh, and so she had to raise uh, all of her children, all on her own, never remarried. And so Barton's became her surrogate uh, husband, so to speak. And, and she loved every day she worked. So are you picking up the, the family lineage of going back into the bourbon industry? Did your parents have any kind of ties or relations to it? Well, uh, our family uh, was one of the early pioneers to Kentucky. We settled in uh, Nelson County uh, in about 1780. We had a trading fort. Um, and most settlers at that time, distilling was really the only currency in the New World. And so uh, distillation started with my great, 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 whatever, how many greats I can add there, uh, Grandfather Samuel Gooden, who came over from Pennsylvania. And, um, and, and they uh, started distilling there along the Rolling Fork River uh, uh, up until the time when I think uh, I think Kentucky became a state and then a lot of the land that was uh, that was uh, the people had settled was then sold out from underneath them as so did Abraham Lincoln's family uh, a, a lot of them uh, then had to move to cities and find uh, other kind of work so yeah distilling has been in our past not only from all of my uncles in, in modern age working in the distilleries but even back uh, 200 and plus years. So Yeah, so you said your uncles were in the, the distilling uh, industry as well. So what kind of companies did they belong to or what were their, their roles there as well? Uh, uh, they they worked in, and my grandmother worked in bottling on the bottling line for many, many years at Barton's. 
uh, other uncles worked at Barton's and also at Jim Beam in uh, production and in um, um, distribution. So, uh, and my other uncle also worked in the construction end of it and the building of distillery. So, uh, you know, if you're in central Kentucky, somehow you're only just uh, one degree removed from some type of distillery, distillery worker, I've always said. So, uh, and I'm, I'm the same. Oh yeah, it, it sounds like it. And so you, you mentioned your grandma was from Bardstown. And did you grow up in Bardstown as well, or were you just from a, a neighboring area? Uh, Hardin County. Uh, we're from here in Hardin County. Uh, my mother's side of the family are Downs. They're all from Bardstown. Uh, our Goodens have been in between Nelson County and Bardstown since, like I said, 1780. So we all just uh, we we didn't know how to swim across the Ohio River. So we. <laughs> Good. So, so I guess let's talk about now your your uprising, right? So, what led you to becoming a master distiller? Uh, you know, what sort of influences did you have along the way? Well, uh, you know, Kentucky, we are very, very fortunate. Uh, you know, you can distill anywhere in the United States, but to distill in Kentucky, it, it really is an honor. I've always thought, and I do feel that way every day that I go to work. Uh, there is so much talent within a stone's throw of where we are here in Hardin County. Uh, being so close to Nelson and Jefferson and Bullitt, where a lot of the distillation, the historic distillation, and also, you know, Woodford County and, and over towards central Kentucky, we really are in the heart of, of, of bourbon country. Now, when I was young, that wasn't, that wasn't such a big deal. Uh, but here in the past uh, 10, 15 years, the world has discovered what we love as bourbon. And so uh, it's now a big deal. And so uh, I, a lot of my experiences and a lot of my training came from people who had worked within the distilleries for many, many years, whose, whose names I better not speak of. But uh, I had some of the best uh, teachers I think a person could ever have. So I guess, uh, you know, how many years have you been kind of kind of going at this and, and kind of – you know, there, there's always the the perfecting the palate, and you know, I, I we've interviewed a few master distillers, and uh, you know, maybe a lot of them didn't even come from from bourbon lineages. You know, they they started off as going to college and being chemists or whatever, and then they kind of just said, "Oh, I live in here, Kentucky, and this seems like a pretty good job opportunity." And then all of a sudden, they just fall into it. So, I guess uh, how, how would that kind of happen for you? You know, absolutely. That's that again, another great question. There, uh, you know. Chris Morris is, is brilliant. Uh, Willie Pratt from Mickner's is another brilliant uh, individual in the liquor business, and I'm, I'm honored to know those guys. Uh, those guys have been in the industry a very, very long time. Uh, you know, I, I came into it when we opened our distillery in 2013. I, I came at it from another, from a different angle. I, I think I'm the average Joe, the average palate, and so I wanted to design or design our bourbon and design, as we call in the industry, all of our brown drinks uh, to would, would fit a more broad range where it wouldn't take a lot of uh, experience or, or, or a, a lot of, uh, you know, you don't really have to have a real defined palette to be able to appreciate it. Uh, and that's really where our Kentucky Amber is. And that's really what it was designed around. Uh, it's, a, it's really a bourbonish drink that people, almost anyone can enjoy. So we'll talk about Kentucky Amber a little bit later when we actually get to some of the stuff you're you're distilling. And sure. let's, let's talk about a little bit about the the distillery itself, right? So uh, the name is is Boundary Oak. Uh, so where does the the name come from? Give us a little bit of background there. 
Sure, absolutely. Uh, our distillery, our first distillery, we now have two distilleries. Our first distillery on Battle Training Road in Hardin County is in the northern part of Hardin County. It sits up on what's called the Muldrell Hill Escarpment. It's right before the beginning or the edge of the, the parts of the Ohio Valley down below us. <clears throat> our elevation here is about 900 feet. Uh, it sits on solid limestone. You know, it's what you would consider traditional uh, in Kentucky, that traditional solid limestone from the base to the top, uh, which gives us the absolute premium water that we need to be able to make bourbon, which, which makes all of our drinks really unique, not only me, but Jim Beam and makers and all of us that are, that are here in Kentucky. Um, where our distillery is, is on part of an old family farm. Uh, there is a division line between two farms. In the old days, there would always be a marker in a survey that delineated a line between two parcels of land. Uh, one of those survey markers, as with lots of farms, is what was called a boundary oak tree or a boundary marker. And it just so happens we have a 150-year-old boundary oak tree that divides two pieces of property that sits up on top of a limestone shelf, and the water shoots out from underneath of this tree uh, and starts the beginning of what's called Paddy, Paddy Creek. Uh, the water, just enormous amounts of water come out from the beneath this tree. So we named our distillery after the tree from which this water comes from that we used to distill. I tell you what, I learned something new every day, and that's that's a fantastic little uh, tidbit of knowledge there. I had no idea what a boundary oak was. Absolutely. It's a common survey marker. Uh, you know, they would put a, a big pin, and there's a big pin in the side of this tree that did, uh, that said this is a survey marker. They know that a lot of those big oaks would stand the test of time and wouldn't get lost in the ground clutter. And so, uh, yeah, it's a very common practice. So for any of our listeners who aren't familiar with uh, Hardin County or Radcliffe, give them some sort of relation to where that is on the uh, Kentucky Bourbon Trail, whether you're coming from Louisville or Lexington or Bardstown, those sorts of areas. Great. We, we are on the and uh, just off what we call the Golden Circle. Uh, if you come down I-65, uh, we're probably only about uh, 10 miles from the Jim Beam plant. Uh, you get off at either at the Joe Prather uh, Parkway, which is the brand new interstate that runs to uh, Ratcliffe, and we're just uh, both distilleries are accessible off of that road. So, uh, and if you're and that's if you're going south. Now, if you're coming north, it's the same way as as you're going to Jim Beam. We're an easy hop off uh, to come up and see our new and our old distillery. Uh, so we really feel we really are really on the bourbon trail for sure. Fantastic. So, uh, you know, I don't get to use this word very often, but what's it mean to be uh, the first distiller distillate in Hardin County after a centennial you know, plus some years? Oh, it's a great feeling. It, it really is. Uh, to me, it's to me, it's an honor. And it's also and uh, it's an honor to be able to do that in Hardin County and to do that for the people in Hardin County who appreciate it. You know, in Kentucky, whether you drink or not, uh, I think everyone appreciates the fact uh, uh, that bourbon is so well known across the world. It really is our number one export, us in Kentucky Fried Chicken, uh, the most <laughs> for the world. And, uh, and, and, you know, I've had nothing but wonderful uh, compliments about it, and people really do feel like they have ownership in, in, in it, and I want them to. It's not only my first um, barrel and, and bottle of bourbon, it's also theirs. So uh, I think I, I get more joy seeing them uh, appreciate it more than myself. Yeah, and, and with that, you know, if you Google uh, Boundary Oak Distillery, 
uh, the website doesn't even come up first, right? It's all these articles and all these news outlets that say like, oh, it's the first uh, 120 years that's been to to since uh, Hardin County's actually been uh, distilling. But then there's also another Insider Louisville article that, that came out and it talks about a record being broken for the most paid for a bottle of bourbon. So give us a little bit of inside story about what that all is about. Sure, absolutely. Uh, we produced our first barrel uh, last winter. Uh, we did had uh, we the, of course the bottle won't be out. It's just a, a young bourbon. It's a two year old bourbon. It won't be out until uh, two years from the date we felt it. Um, uh, and what that was, we we wanted to do something for charity. Uh, so what we did is we pre sold uh, those bottles. The people had the opportunity to come in and sign their name on a barrel. And then in uh, two years, they have the opportunity then to come back and then buy that bottle at a local liquor store or here at our new distillery, which will have the ability to sell liquor. Uh, so that first bottle, uh, an individual gave $25,500 to charity for the right to be able to then purchase that bottle when it came out in the future. Uh, and, and so that made that the most expensive bottle, so to speak, of liquor in American history. So not only did we break the bourbon record, which would have been set by two bottles of, of liquor from the George Washington distillery, uh, um, um, but it also broke it for any kind of liquor in American history. So we felt very uh, uh, just we were surprised. We were very honored with that and, uh, and we're very excited. So uh, it's out of the chute. Our first bottle sold for the most American history. So, uh, you know, we've got a We've got big shoes to fill. That's fantastic news. You know, that's what I really hope I can get to the point one day where I can just throw 28 grand in a bottle and be like, all right, this will be some good shelf candy that I can always look at. (laughs) Isn't that great? And and you did say 28, and that's correct. We did. There was more money given to it at the very end. It was all given to charity. It went, it fed a lot of people uh, to Helping Hand of Hope, which uh, uh, then dispersed that out into food. So we we loved that. We loved that uh, we could do that. uh, with helping hand, hand and and the individual who who bought that bottle was so excited that that they could also help people and also be a part of history. So it's it's kind of like a a double whammy, so to speak. So at the same time, I think I also read that they were taking that bottle and donating it to the uh, Hardin County History Museum or something like that. Is that correct? It is correct. And uh, so that bottle, once it's filled, will go to the History Museum and then be on display. And hopefully that record will stand for a while. Uh, I think the uniqueness about this and what I love, obviously a two-year-old bourbon in itself is not that valuable. It's the historical uh, uh, significance of that bottle being, you know, I tell people well, how great it would be to have the first um, bottle of Jim Beam or the first bottle of Jack Daniels. Um, you know, not that I feel that I'm in the same category as those guys, but, you know, uh, they started off small, too. And so we felt that we gave somebody that opportunity and we're, we're tickled to death that uh, it comes back here to Hardin County and, and we can put it on display for people to see. And on another note, I'll throw this out there. Any time that we can beat Scotch whiskey in the world is always a good thing. It's, it's, a, it's a good day when that happens, right? It's a good thing. And, and, and it's always been Scotch that always held the records. So this was the first time that a bourbon, so to speak, or a bourbon uh, had ever even entered that realm of dollar amounts uh, into the Scotch world. So we got uh, some really good front page news articles in, in, in Ireland and Scotland. Uh, I think one of the very first bourbon distilleries to ever do that. So oh, That's fantastic. So uh, are there any uh, skeptics to who this, this magical donor was that, that, that put forth all this money? Is there any kind of uh, hypothesis around it? 
Oh, absolutely. And I just had a, a, a talk with them uh, last week, and uh, they own Bluegrass Tank Company. Um, they're here in Elizabethtown. Uh, they are uh, bourbon lovers, bourbon connoisseurs. Uh, they were very humble in the fact that they didn't want uh, the world to know that uh, uh, that they had donated all that money. But uh, uh, I like to thank the guys over there for uh, absolutely for uh, for making that bid. And, and, and so when we have the, the announcement here, we'd love for you guys to be there. Here in the in the future in a year, we'll uh, let them guys do the donating, and uh, and the world can see their face. Good deal. Shopify's already taken the cash register online, helping millions sell billions around the world. But did you know that Shopify can do the same thing at your retail store? Give your point of sale system a serious upgrade with Shopify. Shopify's point of sale is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. And with Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in-line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. And get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's point-of-sale Go Mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com bourbon, all lowercase, and go to shopify.com bourbon to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com bourbon. If you're anything like me, then you can't get enough about bourbon. And that's why I'm a subscriber to Bourbon Plus magazine. Bourbon Plus is a quarterly publication that tells the stories from the heart of bourbon. The farmers who grow the grain, the distillers who labor over the process, and the people like you and me who raise their glasses to celebrate it all. Subscribe to Bourbon Plus magazine today at bourbonplus.com, that's P-L-U-S dot com, and use code PURSUIT at checkout for $5 off your subscription. So you, you talked a, a little bit, you said it a few times, that you're aging your bourbon for two years. Now, to most consumers, that might seem a little underaged. It might not have um, you know, the, the characteristics that maybe most people are looking for. So is there something different that you're, you're aging your bourbon uh, to give it a, a, a bolder flavor palette than uh, something that people are just going to uh, think it's just they're just going to shy away from it after, after the first taste? Well, uh, this first bourbon, this first barrel, we're bringing it out for two years just for the historical fact of it. The majority of our bourbon will be the classic four- to five-year bourbon. Um, uh, but just this first bourbon we brought out uh, in two years. My father is 80, 81 years old, and, and I wanted to make sure that they got to experience that first bourbon coming out. So it, it's not you know traditionally four to seven years is the, is the sweet spot for bourbon and aging. In uh, uh, all of our bourbon, we'll stay true to that, our normal bourbon that we put down. But just for this historical barrel, we're bringing it out in two years. So it's it's not something that I think people are going to – I mean, obviously, it would be a palatable good bourbon. I don't want anybody to get me wrong. I think we can do a good job in two years. Uh, but our normal bourbon will be the, the classic Ford 7. So you said earlier your operation was how many square feet? We have two distilleries. Uh, we've got a 40-acre distillery that's on Battle Training Road. That's where we do where we do all of our distilling now. Uh, we're just now uh, in our new distillery, which is about five miles 
in, is in Ratcliffe, Kentucky. So we have one in Elizabethtown, one in Ratcliffe, um, is in a, a facility that was pre-existing that is absolutely going to be probably, uh, without a doubt, one of the nicest craft distilleries in America. Uh, it's 11,500 square feet. Uh, we'll be, we have a 500 gallon pot still on order that will be here in the end of August, uh, along with a 125 gallon finished still that will go into this facility. Uh, a nice state of the art bottling plant will be here. And also we have a 30 seat where I'm talking to you from now, a 30 seat movie theater, uh, that people can see and, uh, uh, movies that we're doing about the history of bourbon and also about, our distillery and uh, uh, and we just have a it's a meeting hall where people can come in and have uh, facilities to have meetings and then uh, uh, take a tour of the distillery or or wander around our campus up here. So uh, and we we intend to also have um, monthly uh, distillers workshops for anybody who wants to be able to come for a Saturday and distill their own liquor and be able to get a bottle of liquor that they can take home. So we're going to be doing some some stuff like that that people can participate in, and, and we're really excited about it. Yeah, oh, it sounds pretty awesome. So I guess, you know, you said at first you, you started off with two barrels. Uh, so I guess how many barrels can your operation hold at, at this current state? Well, we can we can handle as much as we can make. Uh, our facility on Battle Training Road is set up more to store bourbon. Up here at our facility in Radcliffe, we can manufacture bourbon, but most likely most of the bourbon will be sent back to the Battle Training Road facility where we can store it. Uh, um, so we're, we're kind of bridging the gap here. We have a nice modern distillery that will be on the bourbon trail, and then also our older distillery, which is down the road here, that allow us to be able to store liquor in, a, in more of a country-type setting. Not that bourbon needs to be in a country setting, but uh, uh, we have more room there to, to, to store more barrels. So with all these different barrels being all these different places, are you guys thinking like, oh, we can have uh, multiple different brands? Are you thinking like we're just going to uh, do a blend of, of all of them and have a, a consistent flavor palette? Uh, what's your kind of uh, your, your goal for that that four to seven year mark when you when you get those barrels ready? Great question. Uh, it, we intend to have at least two major brands, we think, maybe three major brands. Uh, if you count our amber, that would be four. Uh, you know – you know, with aging whiskey, there really is uh, an art. You know, Willie Pratt, I think, is probably one of the most educated men in the world when it comes to barrel aging. Uh, and, you know, uh, he's been a wonderful friend, and, 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 and I learned a lot from him. Uh, you know, climate, 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 temperature, uh, type of winters, type of summers really, really add to that barrel doing that work to blend that, that bourbon and making it unique. Uh Another thing with us, everything we put into barrel is true pot still. So, you know, we, we're we not going to be doing, you know, uh, a thousand barrels a day. We'll probably be doing five to six barrels a day at the most. So each one of those barrels are completely unique and completely, um, you know, you, you know this industry. A pot still is going to give you a much different flavor profile than a column still is going to give you. Uh, so we're not out to make the most. I think we're out to make some of the best, most unique bourbons in the world. So if I can, if I can throw a name out there, I think you should just do like good and small batch, right? I think it has like a good, like old, old timey ring to it, right? How, how much do I owe you for that? <laughs> well, yeah. let me go ahead and trademark it real quick, and then you, then you can pay me for it. <laughs> there you go. 
So, uh, you know, with that, uh, with these few barrels that are coming out and with these other ones you're thinking of, like, do you guys have like price points in mind of, of what these, what these, uh, are going to cost consumers when they actually do start hitting market? Well, a true pot still bourbon obviously is going to be much more expensive than, uh, a column still. And for, you know, listeners who don't know the difference, a column still is like going to McDonald's. You've got a continuous run of French fries or a continuous run of hamburgers. And that, in this instance, it would be a continuous run of liquor coming out. Where a pot still is just like going to your grandma's house and having her making you one pot of French fries. So when we make a pot of liquor in a pot still, you're getting all of the flavors and all the uniqueness of those grains or whatever you're making with uh, that goes through your column, that goes to your distillate. So you, it's a slower process. So you, you get to really experience how bourbon was made before the introduction of the continuous still in the late 1800s. You know, this is how scotch is made, so to speak. So I and it, the exciting thing about it is you've got companies like Willet that are going to be coming out with some of this wonderful bourbon, this pot-stilled bourbon. Uh, they've got the, the jump on us other guys, and so they've got a lot of bourbon put up just going to set the world on fire, I'm telling you now. And you're going to have a lot of other craft distillers that are all following in behind making these pot still uh, a bourbon. So I think our offering to the world will be limited, but will be very appreciative uh, to buy people who enjoy bourbon. And, and if you can get one of them, you can get a bottle, you've got a real prize. That sounds great. I think that's, uh, that's something that, you know, we, we, we're enthusiasts ourselves, right? But we don't know the ins and outs of, of everything that goes into actually, uh, making a, and the taste that go into the difference between the column and the pot still. So no, that's, that's definitely even good. See, like I'm learning two things today. So I'm really glad you came on the show, right? It's like an educational seminar. If, I, I, that's the way I'd put it. <laughs> we should take, we should just change our taglines now. There you go. There you go. <laughs> so with most distillery startups, you already have a product to sale and we talked about it already, Kentucky Amber. So let's, Let's give our listeners a little bit of a taste of what Kentucky Amber is all about. Oh, this is very exciting. Um, uh, Kentucky Amber is truly a historic Kentucky product. Uh, it's not like we've just went out and decided, hey, let's make something that's, that's palatable. Kentucky Amber, uh, if you talk to old distillery guys or you talk to people who've lived in Kentucky, they'll talk to you about what Jim Beam calls devil's cut. And what devil's cut is – is the liquor that's stuck into the wood of the barrel, what we call the stave. So inside of that stave absorbs all of those sugars along with some residual alcohol. They'll dump that barrel in 10 to 15 minutes, and then that barrel's discarded. Um, traditionally in Kentucky, those barrels would then be taken and put some distillate along in there, some alcohol, very limited amount, and they would roll it around or they would leave it in into a hot spot in the Kentucky, and then out would come what they would either call stave liquor or they would call barrel sweat, which is not the most endearing name, or uh, devil's cut, as Jim Beam calls it. Now, Jim Beam calls it the premium part of the bourbon. And so when I started my distillery, I made a promise to the distillers who taught me how to distill that I would make this product because this is the product they loved and they felt needed to be representative in Kentucky. And so, again, what it is, it is the premium liquor that's left in the barrel. Now, we only get about three gallons out of each barrel, and we have a process that we use. It's different than everybody else. It's more of a traditional process. That We go in and remove all of that amber liquor that's left inside that wood, and what you come out with is probably the sweetest 
most um, – it's woody tasting, of course, but it's probably the best finishing bourbon you've ever had in your life. Um, we've got a lot of scotch people who just absolutely love this because it's the same color of scotch because as probably some of our listeners know that all of our whiskey barrels go to Scotland to make scotch after they're done. So you get that same color of scotch, um, but the way we take it out here traditionally in Kentucky – uh, is is a certain way, and uh, and we reproduced that in Kentucky Amber. The first time, true one hundred percent Devil's Cut has been put in a barrel bottle. And so, if can you get Kentucky Amber across the nation now, or is it just only in Kentucky? Like, where can consumers go and get this today? Uh, a, li- a liquor barn anywhere here in Hardin County, and you will always be able to find it here at the distillery when the distillery is open. At our new distillery, when it has when we're open up here, you can always get it. Uh, it's the same price, generally about Angel's Envy. It's right in that same $40 price range. Uh, but what I love about it and what, I, and what a lot of our bourbon drinkers is they love to have something completely unique. Uh, there's nothing else like this being made. Uh, even though Jim Beam does do a devil's cut, really what they do is they use their devil's cut to proof down their column still liquor. Uh, they'll use part of that devil's cut or water and, and, and they'll go in and proof down their liquor. Ours is 100% the liquor that comes out of that stave. Um, so yeah, you should be able to get it anywhere. Liquor barn will have it. Uh, we'll have it in all the liquor barns here in the future. And we're hoping Kroger's, our local Kroger's, all of our local uh, liquor stores have it here. There was such a limited amount of it that we didn't have a lot to go away. We sold every bottle we had in 35 minutes. So um, uh, it's had a, a really wonderful response, and I'd love for people to try it. It's just really unique and really traditionally Kentucky. I'm sort of salivating right now. Now I'm thinking I need to go run out and look, go hit Liquor Barn on the way home oh, right now and pick you, one up. You will love it. It's, it's, uh, it really is a very unique – it's historic. It's a very unique drink, and uh, uh, if, you, if you drink it, you'll love it. And, uh, and it has such a neat story with it, so. Yeah, because I remember my first bottle of uh, Jim Beam's Devil's Cut, and when I first had it, at least the first drink of it kind of took you by surprise because you didn't really expect it. It was it's very uh, very charcoaly and smoky kind of kind of taste to it, but I tell you what, uh, it makes a mean Manhattan. I remember that of uh, I used it to make Manhattans, and it was uh, it was incredibly good. But it I'm, I'm definitely gonna take your Kentucky Amber and uh, definitely try it try it all neat and see how I like it. But it sounds Absolutely. great. It's going to be completely different than what you're used to from Jim Beam. God bless Jim Beam. We love our friends at Jim Beam. They do a wonderful job, make some incredible liquor, and have, have done a wonders for Kentucky. Um, but the devil's cut that we do is 100% devil's cut out of the barrel. Uh, generally, what other distilleries do is they'll take their barrels and they'll fill them full of water. And that watery mix that comes that pulls that devil's cut out, they will then use that to proof down their normal bourbon. Well, this is completely different. We go in and pull out just the devil's cut or just the stave liquor or the amber out of the out of the stave and 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 that's one hundred percent when you taste it and you'll taste it you'll 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 say, "Oh my God, this is something completely new and different. Um, we're going to sell our very first bottle of Kentucky Amber, which will be like I said, not only our first bottle but the very first bottle of its kind ever at Liquor Barn in an auction here in the future, we hope. And uh, so people will have the opportunity. Maybe we might even break our own record with this. Oh, man, I don't know. You're, you're setting a bar pretty high right there. That's right. That's right. So, <laughs> so we're going to go ahead and wrap up. Uh, we, didn't, we didn't ask, uh, when's the uh, new uh, uh, 
place going to be open so people can go visit? Sure. Uh, we hope to be, uh, we'll definitely be open by the spring here. Uh, we would love to be open by Christmas. Uh, I think that's pretty wishful thinking. You know, we're dealing with the Treasury Department. We have to get our, our, uh, our DSP. We'll probably have an additional DSP for this facility. Uh, so you have to go through that process. Sometimes that can be a lengthy uh, it can take a long time to get that done. Uh, being that we already have one distillery, it, we hope that this one will go quicker. Um, but we we uh, will definitely be open by the spring. We'll have we'll hopefully have a sign on 65, and uh, it's a wonderful uh, drive to get here down Joe Prather Parkway, and uh, and a really interesting facility and uh, pretty hands on. So we we've got a lot to show uh, to show people. Great. So if anybody wants to learn more about the distillery, how can they do that? Sure. Uh, BoundaryOakDistillery.com on the internet. Uh, and you can just Google our name and you can see, like you said, all the articles that's been written about us. We've had our more than our fair share of good press. So Fantastic. And there's also a, a Twitter handle. I think it's uh, at Boundary Oak that people can go and get a hold of you through there as well. Absolutely. Great. So again, Brent, thank you so much for being on the show today, uh, dropping some knowledge with uh, the columns versus the pot stills. It was very intriguing. I think uh, everybody's going to be uh, very anticipating the uh, the releases of this when they do come out. Sure. Thank you. Thank you so much. Absolutely. So if you like what you hear, go ahead and like us on Facebook, like us on Instagram, follow us on Twitter. Go ahead and write a few write a few reviews on iTunes. We definitely appreciate it. If you have anybody that you want to see on the show, uh, as we mentioned at the very beginning, please get at us. Uh, we love getting any kind of comments from our listeners because it just helps us make the show better. Uh, especially you in that commute to work, you you want to make sure you're listening to good quality stuff. So again, thank you all very much. Uh, thank you, Brent, once again. And until next time.